You're listening to a podcast from City Tribe Media. We're an urban tribe who helps people who feel far from God to know Jesus, cultivate freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. We're also a diverse tribe who welcomes everyone from bikers to bankers, PhDs to GEDs, every age, race, and walk of life. So whether you're a longtime Christ follower or a spiritual investigator, we hope you're encouraged through our content. Enjoy today's teaching. Man, good to see you guys. And you know, as we consider the conversation today, we live in a world of the artificial, the fake news and fake people. And as we talk about being legit for real today, I want to ask you a question. Are you for real? Not just real, but like for real, for real, if you know what I mean. And uh, what we're going to show you in the rest of the service is what the Bible says about taking off the mask and how it can make such a huge impact and completely change your life and whole reality. So hang with me through the whole teaching of this. Now, in case you're new here, we're in the midst of a season or series that we call 21 Days of Prayer and Fasting, and a lot of us are fasting from different things, like some are fasting from social media, and some people are fasting from chocolate or coffee or meat or whatever else, and some people are fasting from a variation of different things that just kind of come to mind or that Holy Spirit brings to mind, and we're doing that so we can drill down on and focus in on our love relationships with with God. And we're saying to God, hey, we don't want to just point the finger at people out there in the world, but we're pointing the finger back at ourselves. And we're saying, God, would you make a difference in me so that I can make a difference for you? You follow me? So could we say that out loud together if you're with me, whether you're watching online or here in the room? Let's say it together when I point to you. Ready? God, make a difference in me that I make a difference for you. And we are asking God to make a difference in four different areas of our lives. If you got a little wristband when you came in today or last week, and you can see that last week we talked about what it means from the Bible, not just popular culture, but what it means from the Bible to be holy, because we want to be a holy and a pure people with good motivations and heart and all of that. But how many of you know that you can't get holy until you get real first? And that's what... Um, today is about is before we can get holy, we've got to get honest. And being honest is simply, as we're saying it today, taking off the mask. When you came in today, did you get those little party masks or whatever? Would you kind of put those up to your face real quick? You're kind of freaking me out because it looks like Phantom the Opera just kind of invaded church. And so here's what I want you to do with the mask. Uh, I want you to turn to your neighbor, someone near you in front of behind you and tell them, take off the mask and then take your masks off, Okay. (laughs) That was fun, wasn't it? Take off the mask. And as I thought about how we can get real, I couldn't help but think about the growing artificial intelligence in our world. I'm fascinated by it. I'm kind of fascinated by chat GPT, open AI. So you've seen this. And so um, it's like some people now are like writing code with it, like computer programmers are writing code with chat AI, you know, open AI. And then, like, uh, some people are, like, creating art with artificial intelligence. And then there was one art contest that was won by a piece that was actually not created by a human, but was created by AI. And, of course, students have taken advantage and are now writing essays and papers with artificial intelligence. And so here's what I thought leading up to today. I thought, what if I went to chat GPT and asked it to write my sermon for me today. And so let me show you what I put in the parameters. 
I said to the AI, I said, write a biblical sermon on the topic of authenticity that's humorous, culturally San Antonio, Texas, and I kind of want it to do a lot, no big deal, but make sure it goes viral on YouTube, okay? So do you want to hear what the AI came up with for my sermon today? Go ahead, go ahead and take a look. Good morning, everyone. Today, I want to talk to you about authenticity and how it can be seen in the culture of San Antonio, Texas. God calls us to always be true to ourselves and live out our faith in an honest and genuine way. But sometimes it's hard to stay true to who we are when surrounded by the hustle and bustle of the big city. In San Antonio specifically, there is an incredibly vibrant culture that combines both deep religious roots and bold Texan flair. From the famous San Fernando Cathedral to the Alamo, the city is rich with history and culture. Splashy cowboy hats, bright Hirachi sandals, and colorful fiestas are all part of the unique San Antonio identity. But our God-given authenticity goes beyond the clothes or decorations we wear or the music we listen to. It comes from a deeper understanding of what it means to be true to ourselves and ultimately true to God. Jesus talked about this in his parable of the wise and foolish builders. The one who builds on the rock will stand firm even when the storms come Matthew 7. 2427. That same authenticity and foundation of faith is alive and well in San Antonio today. In that spirit, let us remember that whatever our circumstances or walk of life, we must remain true to ourselves and continue to seek God, building lives that are rooted in the truth of his word. May God bless each and every one of you and keep you strong in your faith. There you have it. Church is over now. (laughs) You know, it blew my mind. I thought that's pretty cool, you know, that an app can like take those parameters and create that. But at the same time, there was a part of my soul that was left wanting. And I think yours perhaps was too. Why is that? Well, first of all, it's because we're here today talking about being real and we're hearing something that was made from a computer, right? Or from, you know, software or, you know, a program or whatever. And, you know, a lot of people feel like maybe this AI is going in a strange direction. I mean, maybe we got to be careful with this because some people are saying, hey, is this leading us to like this dystopian future? Like on that movie, The Matrix, you know, where the computers gain consciousness and they like start controlling all of our realities. And that's why that character, you know, Keanu Reeves' character on that movie, The Matrix, he has to bust out of the artificial reality because he represents something about the human soul. And that is we were not made to be in this fake environment, but we were made to be people to take off the mask. We want to be known and be fully known by other people. We want that which is real, raw, and honest. Do we not? Now, um, as we're thinking about taking off the masks today, I hope you can take those little masks home as like a little party gift for today because church is kind of a party and put it on your nightstand and let it be a reminder of you to never put it on. Let it be a reminder to never be the kind of person that just fakes it and pretends to be someone that you're not. Now, if you go back to the Garden of Eden, you'll see that there's a spiritual enemy that wants to put masks on us. And that's what he's doing in the temptations. The serpent was trying to get the humans to disregard and not believe what God said, his word. And he was also trying to get them to eat the fruit and put on these little masks to be Little G gods. Now, I read this commentary on the Genesis creation story and the fall 
that was written by a guy named Donald Miller in a little book called Scary Close. And I guess the reason that he entitled it Scary Close is because it's really scary to open up to other people, is it not? Because you don't know what they're going to do with that, right? And you make yourself vulnerable there. And he shows this diagram about what happens in our lives. And if you look at the diagram, in the middle there, you'll see your pure and authentic self that you are as a child. But then something tends to happen that can bring shame into the equation. For a lot of children, you know, it's when they have their first accident or maybe they wet the bed and they want to hide that. But what Donald Miller says is that as we grow up, we still have accidents. They're just different, aren't they? And then we put on all these different kinds of masks to hide our accidents. And so like for some people, they'll put on the mask of achievement. Um, For other people, they'll put on different kinds of masks, like maybe the morality mask. And the reason that we put on these masks is because we want to convince other people around us that our accidents don't stink. See? And then he follows the creation story and then the uh, fall story and talks about how men and women were different before sin entered the equation. Go with me to Genesis chapter two, verse 25. It says, now the man and his wife, Adam and Eve, were both naked, but they felt no what? No shame, see? Because shame comes into the equation after they sinned. They ate of the forbidden fruit, and then you see what entered into the ecosystem in Genesis chapter 3, 7. It says, at that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt what? Shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. They had to cover themselves because sin brought about the first masks. See, See, before the fall, before sin, they walked around naked, and it wasn't awkward or weird, you know? And, you know, that's why we're clothed today, because of what happened here in Genesis. All of us are wearing clothes. And I thank God you're wearing clothes. I really do. And you should doubly thank God that I'm wearing clothes today. And what I know is, is that sometimes we wear clothes to, uh, you know, bring prestige. You know, we got to have certain kind of clothes to look the way we want, want to look to convince people that we're who we want to be. And then I think about when I was younger, you know, and I was this skinny kid and I wanted to be more muscular and I wore bigger, baggier clothes because it made me look bigger. And now that I'm older and I have dad bod, I wear, you know, clothes that kind of hide the dad bod. You know, it's like I'm, I'm wearing baggy clothes for a different reason now. It's because of shame. Shame wants us to put the mask on. And what your heart longs for is the intimacy that's beneath the mask. I would agree with what pastor and author Stephen Furtick said. He said, God can't bless who I pretend to be. Right, on. So everyone says, I'm real. Oh, I'm, I'm a real person. I don't care what anybody thinks. I say what I want to say, and I don't wear no mask, you know. But let me be more precise. Is there anything in your life that you're ashamed of that you have not shared with? A therapist or counselor, um, a tribe group like what we have at church, or an authentic, legit Christ-following friend. And that will tell you the degree to which you're not just for real, but like for real, for real, if you know what I mean. So um, as I was looking at the creation story in Adam and Eve, it was kind of sad to me 
that Adam and Eve, the Bible doesn't really show us that they ever took off the mask. It just shows us that they got caught, you know? And I thought to myself, who is the first person, the first Bible character who was willing to like confess their sin and take off the mask and be for real? You know who it was? It was this guy named Judah. Now, I want to tell you about Judah and the kind of guy that he was. He was the oldest brother with a bunch of brothers, and he convinced all of his brothers to throw their little brother Joseph into a pit and leave him there for dead. And then Judah thinks, well, you know, at least we can make some money off of young Joseph. And so they pulled Joseph out of there, and Judah sold him as a slave in Egypt. And so our character, our main character of our Bible story today is a guy that he sold his brother into slavery. Now, the next part of his story is perhaps the part that most people are not as familiar with. The next part of his story is when he starts growing up and he has a family. He has three kids, okay? Three sons. So put up three fingers with me, and I'm going to ask you a question. How many sons did Judah have? Three, not a trick question. Okay, now, the first son is a kid, a young man named Ur. Okay, you're like, that's a weird name. Yeah, I know. The Bible name is weird names, okay? It's like David, Ur, something else. No, it's just Ur, straight up Ur. And the dude Ur, the first son of how many? Three sons of Judah. He marries this woman named Tamar. So Tamar and Ur get together, and Ur has this dysfunctional behavior in his life, and it leads to his own death. So Judah had how many sons? Three, but now he's down to two because Ur is gone, okay? And it's a good thing because that's not a very good name, okay? So the, 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 the culture of that day was very odd, ladies, and what would happen is, is if your husband died, then you were to marry his brother. Isn't that weird? And the reason they would do that is because they wanted to carry on the family line. And as a side benefit, the world was very barbarous at that time, very different from the world that we live in. And so it was good for the woman because she would have a place to stay. It was really hard to make it on your own if you were a single girl back in single lady back in those days. And so, you know, Tamar's like, all good. I guess I'm married to this guy Onan now. Now, the thing about Onan is he wasn't such a great guy either, and he wasn't excited about taking one for the team, if you know what I mean. He, the reason he didn't want to really be close and tight with Tamar is because he's like, hey, you know, if I have some children with her, then it means less inheritance for me. And so he's this really greedy guy. And he's this guy in the Bible that he's really got kind of an embarrassing story because really what he's known for is spilling something on the ground, you know, after he got with Tamar. And I'm not going to talk about that because it's embarrassing for me to talk about it. If you want to go back to Genesis and read it, it could be fun for you. Okay. But anyways, he, he's a guy, he was a guy that was not so great. And because of his own dysfunction, he died too. And so now, what is Tamar to do? How many sons did Judah originally have? Three. Okay, we're two down. Watch what finger you leave up, okay? Be careful about that. It's a family show. But now there's one son left, but here's what Judah's thinking. 
Judah's thinking, hey, this Tamar, she's like kind of a black widow or something like that, right? So she keeps killing my sons. When the reality is, Judah's sons, they were horses rear ends, okay? They weren't very good guys, and they kept dying because of their own dysfunction. But you know how parents are. I mean, Judah blames it on Tamar, calls her a black widow, and he is not about to let Tamar marry his third and only son left. And what that does is it breaks the tradition that they had in that day to keep the family line going. And also, it casts Tamar out to live in the cold, cruel world on her own, which was hard to to do. And in the community's eyes, it made her like damaged goods. And so she was kind of cast out, just trying to somehow make it, you know? Well, here was what she decided to do to try and make it. She dressed up and posed as a prostitute. And by the way, I'm not making this stuff up. I said, people who say the Bible's boring have not read the Bible. It's like a novella, isn't it? It's like like, uh, crazy, you know, stuff going on. So Tamar poses as a prostitute and she's got a getup on where you can't tell who it is. And she intentionally stands where Judah will walk by. So here's what happens. Judah walks by and he sees her, but he doesn't recognize and know who it is. He doesn't know it's Tamar, his daughter-in-law. And then he starts thinking, hey, you know, my wife's been gone for a while and it's not in the Bible, but I'm imagining like he's singing a song on the inside. It's like he's thinking to himself, sing her in a smoky room, smell a wine and cheap perfume. Yeah. For a smile, they can share the night, and it goes on and on and on and on, right? So now, all of a sudden, Judah and Tamar are more than just strangers up and down the boulevard, if you know what I mean. So now, they've, they're in her little pop-up tent, and when they have sex, she's a smart girl. She knows what kind of guy that Judah is. He throws people under the bus. So she keeps three of his possessions. She keeps his signet, his cord, his cord, and his staff. We're going to come back to those. Remember those three items. But now Tamar's situation gets even more complicated because she like takes a pregnancy test. So now guess what? She's pregnant. And Judah is the baby daddy. So look at the next passage and see what happens next. Genesis 38, 24. About three months later, Judah was told, Tamar, your daughter-in-law has been immoral. Moreover, she is pregnant by immorality. And look at the kind of guy Judah is in the next sentence. And Judah said, bring her out and let her be burned. Wow. I mean, this is not a good dude, is it? He was the one that got with her, and now he's saying, yeah, just burn her to death. And so the, the world was different back in those days, and the community was about to burn her at the stake. And what would Tamar do? Well, she was clever. Look at what she did in the next verse. Uh, this is Genesis chapter 38, verse 25. And as she was being brought out, she sent word to her father-in-law, by the man to whom these belong, I am pregnant. And she said, please identify whose these are, the signet and the cord and the staff. So what are the significance of these items? Well, the signet 
was like a seal that would typically go on a ring where you could use it to authenticate documents. So it was unique to the person who owned it. Then the cord was most likely some type of a tassel that represented Judah's high status in the community. And then the staff was like a symbol of Judah's leadership and authority in the community. So for all practical purposes, Tamar has these three possessions that would be like the modern day equivalent of the guy's wallet, driver's license, and cell phone of the guy who impregnated her. So there's no denying it. Everybody in the community can see these items and they know. So what will Judah do? Will he play it off? Will he put on a mask? Will he create some kind of an excuse? No. For the first time in his life, he chooses to courageously take off the mask. And here's his confession in Genesis 38, 26, when he said to the whole community, she is more righteous than I. She's more righteous than I. And the hard shell around Judah's heart had finally cracked open. He finally came correct. And if you understand history and the cultural background of Bedouin men in the Middle East at that time, that shows you how humble of a confession this is that Judah is making when he says, she is more righteous than I. And it changed him when he took off the mask. And I need to tell you today why Judah's story is so encouraging and helpful for me personally. Because over 30 years ago, not long after I started really trying to follow Jesus, I confessed to a Christian friend of mine that I was struggling with porn and lust. And if you're a Christ follower here today, you know that the sins and stuff you committed before you were a Christ follower, you know, you don't feel as bad about those, but now you know better. So it feels worse. A sense of shame. Well, as it turned out, my friend was struggling with the same thing. And so what we would do is pray for each other and we'd call each other and hold each other accountable. Hey, you know, did you do anything you shouldn't have done? Yeah. So I, I would go on these good streaks, but then I would struggle again. Struggle getting too physical with my high school girlfriends and, you know, college girlfriends and all that. Well, since I got out of college, you know, when we graduated, I married my wife, Jeannie. And I thought, now that I'm married, that'll solve it and that'll fix it. And I would have these good streaks and then I would struggle again. Well, as I grew into my late 20s and early 30s, I was working in the ministry and I was working as a youth pastor, and publicly, the ministry was going great. I mean, we had this large youth ministry, you know, there's like over 500 students coming to this thing, and it was a lot of fun, but privately, I was still struggling, and I really didn't want to be a hypocrite, and so I would go to different pastors, and I'd go to different counselors and therapists and take off the mask and tell them what I'm struggling with. I'm like, help me, you know, get over this addiction. I don't want to do that, you know, and um, and they would try and help, and I would go on good long streaks, but then I would struggle again. And so one night, I prayed kind of a desperate prayer to the Lord, and it went something like this. I said, God, 
I give you permission to do whatever it takes in my life to set me free from this behavior. And he did. It was not long after I prayed that prayer that I got fired from that church because I had a relationship outside my marriage. And so now I'm looking at a disappointed, hurt wife, and I didn't know if our marriage was going to make it. I thought we might divorce. We were separated for a time. I had also disappointed my ministry colleagues that I'd worked with that mentored me and helped me along. I had um, disappointed people in the church. In fact, put yourself in my shoes for a minute. It was at a large church, and they announced my sin publicly to the congregation. So that brought on a fair amount of shame. Um, one of the things that made it really bad was I knew I disappointed the students that I had led, kids that I just loved, you know, and their parents. And I went to many of their homes and sat down on their couches and asked for their forgiveness for what I'd done. And I'll never forget their faces and both hurt and the grace that they extended my way. So um, you can imagine the, the kind of shame that I was feeling um, about my life. So I was out of the ministry at this time in my life, but I was still trying to find God, you know, and get free from this behavior. So I had heard about this kind of counseling I could go to in another state where here we would now call it spiritual freedom counseling. And I went to these guys and I sat down with this guy and they were leading me in these declarations that I'm supposed to speak out. And one of the declarations that was so powerful was the declaration, I am not defeated. And that's actually, those of you that have been around here know, that's the title of a little book I wrote a couple of years ago. And I bring that up today because um, that's out on audio now on Apple Books or on audible.com if you're not a like book reader, if you'd rather just listen. But these guys were leading me in these little declarations. And so I would try and say, I am not defeated. And I would think that with my mind, but when I would try and talk, something would cause my mouth to say, I am defeated. And the guy stopped me and he said, no, Doug, I don't think you understood me. You're supposed to say, I'm not defeated, not I'm defeated. And so I said, try it again. And again, I'm thinking with my mind, I am not defeated. And my mouth says, I am defeated. And those guys stopped and they started praying what around here we would call like a spiritual warfare kind of prayers over me. And when they stopped, they said, okay, let's try it again. And I was finally able to think with my head and speak with my mouth. I am not defeated. And I didn't really feel lightning or thunder or anything like that. But when I got home to my wife, Jeannie, she said, Doug, you know, after those counseling sessions, it seemed like in hindsight, your mind was just more clear. So it was like more clear thinking in my life, but I'd have good streaks, but I was still struggling. And like I said, I was working in the marketplace in the IT field at that time doing corporate training. And I had a group of people come from out of town to go through my training. And one woman, very attractive, came here from another state. And we had this great rapport. And one day, right like near the end of class, she hands me this slip of paper. And on the piece of paper, it had her hotel room number on it. And I knew what that meant. 
And so I put it in my pocket and I'm thinking, what am I going to do after work? And so it was after work and I get in my car and I'm on my way to that hotel. And you know what I'm doing on my way to that hotel? I'm taking off the mask and I'm saying, look, God, I'm about to go cross a boundary that you know I have not yet crossed. But you must not work. Because God, I've gone to every kind of counseling known to man and I've opened up about all the most embarrassing things I've ever done. Maybe you just don't work. And I got to that hotel in the lobby and I picked up the courtesy phone. By the way, I... Younger people, I know I didn't text, is like over 20 years ago when this happened, okay? So um, I picked up the courtesy phone. I called up to her room, and I said, hey, I'm here. And she's like, Doug, look, I'm sorry we can't hang out tonight. My ex-boyfriend from out of town flew in, and we decided we were going to get back together today. And I said, hey, man, it's cool. And I just hung up the phone, and I looked up, and I said, you did this, didn't you? You let me drown so you could resuscitate me. And I laughed all the way home. I don't know why it was so funny to me. It's just like I laughed all the way home. I started looking back in hindsight. And I think that's when I got free. I could only think of, I just, I thought of one time after that, where I messed up and I looked at something on a screen I shouldn't have looked at. But other than that, God set me free and I'm free here today. My marriage made it. And I was able to get back in ministry after the good work that God did in my life. But here's the question I have for God still kind of. I'll let you in on it. It's like, God, why didn't you set me free from that behavior I didn't want to do the first time I took off the mask? And got real. And I think what's revealed to me and what a lot of you know is simply this. That taking off the mask is not the end, but it's the beginning of the journey toward freedom. See? So over time, I had to keep taking off the mask to counselors, pastors, Christ-following friends. And in time, God did for me what I could not do for myself. Oh, us Americans, we want a quick fix. We want to take a pill. We don't want to process. See? But the reality of freedom, what we'll tell you in Cultivate, Tribe, or Conquerors, or any one of those, is that most of the time our spiritual growth is a process the Bible calls sanctification, where we have to work at it. And take off the mask over time. Because how many of you know, once you've taken off the mask, the mask will try to come back on, won't it? And sometimes the better you're doing, the more it wants to come back on to your face. And so let's say to each other, keep off the mask. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, keep off the mask. And so I want to ask you, what about you? Have you ever started that journey to freedom? And some of you have started, but you've grown weary of it. And I want to encourage you today to keep taking off the mask. Now, what, whatever happened with that guy, Judah, that we were talking about? Can I finish his story? That guy ended up leaving his homeland, 
and he went to Egypt. And the reason that he went to Egypt is because there was a famine in the land and there was no food anywhere. And Egypt was the only place you could get some grain. And for the second time in his life, Judah is standing before someone that he's wronged that he doesn't recognize. And guess who it is this time? It's Joseph, the brother that he had sold into slavery, but he doesn't know it's Joseph yet. But here's how it's different this time. Joseph is no longer the little brother that can be sold into slavery. Now Joseph is the second most powerful man in the world, and he works for the Pharaoh himself. If Joseph would have wanted to, he could have snapped his fingers and had Judah executed on the spot, but he decides to play a little game with Judah and the rest of the brothers. And he says, hey, you know what I think I'd like to do? I'll take now your littlest brother, Benji, short for Benjamin. I'll take him into Pharaoh's house and make him a slave here. What will Judah do when this powerful man who controls the distribution of food What would Judah do when this man says, we're going to take your little brother, Benji? Will he put on another mask and throw Benjamin under the bus like he had done with Tamar and like he had done with Joseph many years prior? No, because Judah, by this point in his life, is a man who's taken off the mask and he's different. He does perhaps the most heroic, authentic thing he's ever done in his life. And I want to show it to you in this story. In Genesis uh, chapter, where is it? 44 verse 33. He says, please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord and let the boy go back with his brothers. And so here Judah is willing to give his own life to be a slave in the palace of Pharaoh just so his little brother can be free. So you can tell he's changed and he's humble before this powerful man that he stands before or kneels before. And so how would Judah's humility affect Joseph? We'll look at that and we'll see Joseph take off a mask. Look at Genesis chapter 45, verse one. Then Joseph could not control himself. He cried, come near me, please. And they came near and he said, and here's the big reveal. I'm your brother, Joseph, whom you sold in Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. Not only did Joseph have the spiritual wherewithal to forgive Judah and the brothers, but he also had the spiritual perspective that God had sent him to Egypt in order to store up grain and be able to distribute food and save millions and millions of life by his lives, by his food distribution system in Egypt. Not only does Joseph forgive Judah, but he invites Judah and all the brothers and all their families, all their wives, all their children's To come to Egypt, he provides transportation for them as well, and he brings them back to Egypt in order to give them homes, land, and wealth. He blesses them. And check this out. In the caravan that was coming from the motherland to Egypt with Judah, 
is one little boy that's an important character in the story that most people don't even know his name. Who's the little boy? His name's Zira. And what's his story? Well, remember when Judah knocked up Tamar? You're like, "Ah." yes, she got pregnant with twins. And when those twins were being born, I mean, you know, their birthing technology was not the same. It's like, Twins trying to come out, you know, one hand comes out, another foot comes out or whatever, you know. And so the midwife ties a little red string around one of the little boy's wrists so they can tell them apart. So look at the birth story in Genesis chapter 38, verse 30. It says, when he came out, he came out with a scarlet thread on his hand and his name was called what? Say it, Zira. So this kid Zira... He was born to a mom that posed as a prostitute and tricked her father-in-law into sleeping with her. Okay, that's not good. It's no bueno, right? And he's the son of a guy who had slept with said prostitute, his daughter-in-law, and he had also like sold a brother into slavery. Not such a good guy either. But what is the little red string around his wrist. Well, in the Bible, there's a red thread that stretches all the way from Genesis to Revelation. And the red represents a spiritual truth. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin all throughout the Bible. And whose blood is the most significant in the forgiveness of sin? Well, Jesus, right? Who died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin or for yours. And check this out. That little boy, Zira, who was born in not the greatest situation, didn't have the greatest home life, didn't have the greatest background. His name is listed in Matthew 1 in the descendants, the family line of Jesus himself. But you know who else was made the list? Jesus was born into the tribe of what? Judah. Even Judah, the guy who had sold his brother and the guy who had slept with a prostitute, the guy who would be the first in the whole Bible to take off the mask. After he did that, it unleashed something through his family line where the savior of the whole world would be born. So what could God do through your life? If you're willing to take off the mask, let's bow for prayer as we bow before the Lord and his presence is here. If you've thought of something, maybe God by his spirit brought something to your mind that you'd like to confess just between you and God. Even if it's something even painful to think back about that you've done and that no one else knows. You can tell him it's safe. And just in your own words, in your own heart and mind and thoughts, just tell God, hey, look, I know I did this. And I know it wasn't your, what you wanted me to do. I know it was sin and it was wrong. And as you confess that to God right now in prayer, just in your own words, in your own thoughts to him, I want to share a verse from scripture with you. It's 1 John 1, 9. It says, 
that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And as you're reflecting on God having forgiven you, the next step for you is the step that I had to take too. And it's the advice of Jesus' half-brother named James. And he said, confess your sins to one another so that you might be healed. And so, so as you're there before God, perhaps you would want to confess that sin to a trusted friend. As we continue in prayer, every week God brings people here to adopt them as his kids. And if you've never had love relationship with God, and for whatever crazy reason you were led here today, and you're thinking to yourself, I don't know why, but I want God right now. I didn't know his heart was so good that he loved people and wanted to forgive. I always thought he was up there with that celestial hammer ready to beat me down. But his heart for you is good, and it is love. And if you've never met him before, just talk to him in your own heart. Maybe you just want to tell him something like this. Look, God, you know me, and you know the stuff I've done, and it's wrong. And I ask for your forgiveness. And God, I choose right now to believe that when Jesus Christ died on that cross and shed his blood, that he died there for me. Welcome into my life, God. We pray these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Everyone said, amen, amen. Well, thank you guys for hanging with me through all that today. And I'm so excited about some who just had spiritual birthdays today, adopted some as adults. And if you're what we call one of our spiritual investigators, you're just scoping him out, trying to kick some spiritual tires and see if God is legit and for real. Um, I want to encourage you to keep on coming and checking it out, you know. Um, you know, the thing that really changed me uh, was when I had encounters with God. Um, so he can do good work when we uh, are open-minded and open-hearted to him. Now, there are a couple of different walks going on outside as soon as you leave. There'll be some prayer leaders outside each set of doors where if you're so inclined and you'd like to join us on a prayer walk around our buildings, every week after services, we're going on prayer walks and we're praying, God, would you make us a holy people that purely love others and that are morally pure? Um, God, please, we need your help because we want to be a holy people. and We want to be honest about our staff. And so Pray that as you walk around here. If you're watching online, walk around your block and pray for the people in your community and your life that you'd be a good influence and make a good, loving, godly Im impact on the people in your apartment complex or in your neighborhood or wherever you live. Now, next week, we're going to talk about being hopeful. That's the third thing that's on your wristband, right? So we know that we can't encounter the presence of God if we don't have faith and hope that he's there. So we'll unpack that next Sunday. Um, and then uh, last reminder for you, I'm not going to spend much time on this, but we're just so grateful for those of you that 
contribute to the Hope Fund here. And a lot of you bring your offerings here. And man, it's making such a big difference by creating environments where people can be real and take off their mask and get the help that they need, you know? And whether you do that by mailing it in or go to our website, citytribe.church slash tithe, T-I-T-H-E. We're just so grateful for the way you guys are being generous and funding the changing of lives around here. So stand up together. And for our benediction or closeout today, we're going to do a responsive reading of what's called the serenity prayer. And I really love this prayer because it really helps us to kind of put things in God's hands in a way that I think is profound. And so when it says, Doug, I'll read that part. And when it says, everyone, you guys say your part out loud along with me. You guys ready to do this thing? So God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardships as the pathway to peace. Taking as he did this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that he will make all things right if I surrender to his will, that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with him forever in the next. Amen. So walk from here, supremely happy with him. You guys have an amazing Sunday and we'll see you next time. Peace. We're glad you were a part of the tribe today. To further connect with us, Check the City Tribe YouTube channel, iTunes, SoundCloud, Instagram, Facebook, or our website, citytribe.church. May you go from this podcast knowing that you are loved.